Let me have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, today, over the next ten weeks, if we are granted those weeks by God's grace, may the words of my mouth, may the words of those who teach, uh, be acceptable in your sight. And may the hearts of those who listen, either in this sanctuary, in some small group, or online, may the meditations of their hearts be blessed by you. As the Spirit hovers, wanting to descend, turning words on pages into realities that influence and transform our lives. Bless such things for the sake of the kingdom, in our Lord's name. Amen. Red Sea Rules came into Connie and my life some 13 years ago. So influential that over these 13 years, I have probably handed out close to 1,200 of that book to people. Not when they're celebrating, not, not at the occasion of a wedding or a baptism, birth of a child. 1,200 times a book given to those experiencing some storm in their lives, praying that as impactful as this book was for Connie and I, it might be for others. Ten weeks now, beginning this weekend. The first principle that Robert Morgan passes on to you and me is that God has you where he wants you to be. God has you right now where he wants you to be. And then I will ask a question, did he put you there? The place where you are right now, did he put you there? If right now in your life you have some blessing going on, you better believe with all your heart that God put you in that place of blessing. If you threw a game-winning touchdown pass on Friday night, you better believe God puts you in that situation. If you just uh, got a phone call and you're starting a new job, you better believe that God puts you in that pace of blessing. If you looked at the pregnancy test and after trying for three years, it shows that you are pregnant and you can hardly wait to tell the world. You better believe that God puts you in that place. If you don't really need this book right now, if you're just looking at it out of curiosity, if you have a period of blessing going on in your life, coming straight from God, He's put you in that place for two reasons. Number one, for your joy. For your joy, for your celebration. Jesus said, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have abundant life. And abundant life is a life that is filled with hope and joy and excitement and celebration. He wants you to have joy. You're 18 years of age, you're through the touchdown pass. You're 21 years of age, you just are starting on Monday to your first job. He asked you to marry him, you've been dating for five years. God desires joy in our life. And when that comes, you better believe he puts you in that place. 
He did it for a second reason, not only for your joy, but so that you might realize from whence the blessing came. What's one of the first things your mom and dad ever taught you? Didn't they teach you to say thank you? When someone gave you something, didn't they teach you some of your first words, say thank you? And if someone gave you something, they were standing there and you didn't say thank you, they would say, what do you say? You did the same to your own children. Why does God put us in the place of blessing so we realize the blessing came from Him? Jeremiah said it well, Jeremiah 9.23, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the wise man boast in the wisdom or the rich man boast in his wealth. Let him who boasts, let him who has received some blessing, let them boast that that blessing has come from God. God has you where he wants you to be. And if it is a great time in your life, then you better believe it came from God, the other side of the coin. You were diagnosed with cancer. And I dare to say God has you where he wants you to be. Your baby was stillborn. You lost your job. The house was foreclosed on. How in the world can one say God has you where he wants you to be? Did he put you in those places? And the answer is an absolute. Loud as I can say it, no. When we are in storms, when we are in trials, when the cancers come and the house is foreclosed on, when the addiction has destroyed a family's life, when the drunk driver has changed things forever, It is not God's realm, it's Satan's realm. Sin and suffering on this earth, it is Satan's realm. You need proof? Straight from the Bible. 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. Like water spilled on the ground, each of us must die. God desires the death of no man. He always gets the blame. Why did God allow cancer in that eight-year-old child? Why did he allow this illness in your wife's life? She's only 38. He always gets the blame. It is Satan's territory. James 1.13 Let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil. Neither does he use evil to test or to tempt any man. Evil is Satan's realm. If God is a God of absolute goodness, he will not use evil to bring you closer to him. Uh, He will use Satan's evil to bring you closer to him. John 16, 33, Jesus says to his disciples day before he dies, In this world there will always be storms, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I'll be with you in the midst of the storm. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, in this world, God will always bring storms into your life. He says, storms will come, but I shall be with you in the midst of the storm. 
God has you where he wants you to be. He did not put you there if it's a realm of evil. But God shall plant himself right in the midst of that storm. And he will walk hand in hand with you. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, as David said it so poignantly. I talked with Connie about this yesterday afternoon, this whole concept. She said, Paul, you need to go to page 13 of Red Sea Rules. And it says this. I am where I am by God's appointments. Psalm 139 says, from the moment you're conceived, every day that you live on this earth, every blessing you ever receive, every trial you ever go through, it is appointed by God. I am where I am by God's appointment in His keeping, under His training, for this time. We'll look at the story of Joseph for a few minutes. Uh, Joseph's story. God had him where he wanted him to be. Joseph covers 14 chapters in the book of Genesis. From our Sunday school days on, whenever we thought about Joseph, our hearts went out in great compassion to him. We had pity for him, because on that day when the Bible says he's 17 years of age, and he goes out into the wilderness to see his brothers, see how they're doing, told to go by his father, first place he goes to, they're not there, they've gone further down the road, and he hunts them down, and when they see him coming, they say, let's kill him. If you had been a neighbor of Joseph, if you had been one of the brothers, uh, Joseph was a, about as narcissistic an individual as you could be. There was so much arrogance in him. He had enough of it of his own, but here he has a father who fuels everything. He has 12 sons, but he treats uh, Joseph like he's the king on this planet. Makes him a coat of many colors, and Joseph, when he receives this coat, he goes straight to his brothers, and he says, don't you wish dad loved you as much as he loves me? Don't you wish you had a coat like I did? Don't you wish you had the father's favor that I have? And shortly thereafter, he begins to have dreams. And in the dream, he's got his brothers and sisters bowing down to him, and he's got his mom and dad bowing down to him. And you think he would keep that to himself? No. When he woke up the next morning, he goes straight to his brothers. And he goes straight to his mom and dad. And he says to them, I'm going to be great someday and you're all going to be bowing down to me. An arrogance, a narcissism, that when he goes and sees his brothers, before he ever arrives, they say, the dreamer is coming let us kill him. They take Joseph and they throw him into a pit. And when he's in that pit, he hears the discussions. We should murder him. He hears his oldest brother, Reuben, standing up for him. But he's in that pit and he hears these words from his brothers. 
And when he's in that pit, he bumps into somebody. He's not in that pit alone. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, they are not in the furnace alone. When Jonah is swallowed by the whale and he's in the belly of the whale for three days, he is not in the belly of the whale alone. There is someone with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There is someone with Jonah. There is someone with Joseph. And the someone in that pit is God himself. Seventeen years of age, in a pit, There's no coat of many colors. There's no dad. There's no one except God in that pit. If I have to praise his father Jacob for one thing, I'll praise him for teaching his boys about Jehovah God. And for the first time, I dare say, I'm speculating, but for the first time in his life, Joseph bumps into God in a pit when his brothers are talking about murdering him. God had Joseph where he wanted Joseph to be. Was he the evil behind the brothers' motives? No. But he took Satan's evil And he set up a classroom in a pit. And he began to teach Joseph. I mentioned at least once a year Oswald Chambers. He made the comment, I pity any Christian who does not have some trial going on in their life. Because when trials come, when we're in the pit... We see the face of God in ways we've never seen it before. And we develop a closeness to God that can come no other way. He's in the pit. He could have gone one of two directions. Either shaking his fist at God and saying, You're not there. My father told me a bunch of lies. Or in that pit, lifting up his hands to Jehovah and saying to him, I've not spent much time with you at all, but can you help me? And when the slave traders come and he is sold into slavery, is he cursing God? No. What's he doing? I'm speculating. He's thanking God. Because in the pit, he's asking God, please spare my life. Please don't let my brothers kill me. And when the slave traders come and they, and they buy him for 20 pieces of silver, Joseph is saying to God, thank you for answering my prayer. And when they get to Egypt... He continues to pray to God all the way to Egypt, and he prays to God, Spare me, Lord, I'm a slave. And if I go to the right, I'll end up in the copper mines or the sulfur mines, and I'll be dead within 18 months. But if you send me to the left, I'll end up in the administrative courts. 
Only 3% of slaves managed to go to the left and into the administrative courts. The rest were worked to death. He thanks God for sparing him a second time. He ends up in Potiphar's house. How long is he there? Eleven years. And after eight years have gone by, Potiphar, looking at Joseph, the Bible says, he looked at him and realized he was a godly man. He realized that Joseph was surrounded by God and trying to live for God. And he put him in charge of all of his possessions. Potiphar's wife looked at him, saw how handsome he was, intelligent he was, tried to seduce him. And he fought her off for weeks, if not months. And then there comes a day that they're alone, and and he says, I cannot do this wickedness and sin against God. Who's in his mind when this temptation is going on? God. The old Joseph, the 17-year-old Joseph, who thought life revolved around him, he would have said, my charm, my charisma, That's what got me into the position I have at Potiphar's house. My charm, my good looks, that's why Potiphar's wife is coming on to me. That was the old Joseph. This is the new Joseph. And this new Joseph says, God has blessed me by putting me in Potiphar's house. I will not sin against my God, he says to Potiphar's wife. And what happens to him? He's thrown into prison. What does he do then? Does he shake his fist at God? No. He says, God has spared my life a third time. My speculation, God has spared my life a third time because Potiphar should have had me executed. If what his wife is saying is true, he should have brought me out and had me executed. God has saved my life a third time. And when he's in prison, guess who he's living for? God. He's only in prison for two years, but the warden of the prison looks at this young man and he sees how godly he is. Probably hears him praying prayers to God like Daniel did. Probably hears him singing praises to God like Paul and Silas did in prison. And he puts him in charge of the prison. My goodness Gracious. God did not wait for Joseph to be 30 years of age or 50 years of age. He takes him when he's 17 years of age. And he puts him in the most nightmarish situation you can imagine. And he goes into that pit. And he links arms with Joseph. And he said, we're going to go for a walk. He's in Egypt for 23 years. Interprets a dream there in prison. Two years later, Pharaoh has a troubling dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Second in command of Pharaoh himself. Have you been in a pit? Did you shake your fist at God and say, I don't believe you exist? Or when you were in a pit, 
Did you run as fast as you could to God? Throw your arms around him so tightly that God could barely breathe. God has you where he wants you to be. Because he has all the power. Had a man say to me years ago, I have an opportunity for a job in Atlanta, Georgia. I've prayed about it, and I'm going to take the job in Atlanta, Georgia. And then he asked me this question. He said, how do I know that's God directing me there and not Satan? I said to him, 1 John 4, verse 4, Everyone born of God has overcome the world because the one in you is stronger than the one in the world's. 1 John 5, 4, this is a victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith in God. I said, God sent you to Atlanta, Georgia. He called me two months later. He said, are you sure? He said, I just lost my job. You said that God brought me to Atlanta, Georgia. I just lost my job. I said to him many years ago, I said, it's not the end of the story. Six weeks later, he called me and he said, have a new job. Pays me twice as much money as my old job did. God has you where he wants you to be because the power and wisdom and love of God. Satan stands no chance. And the storms he brings into your life and mine, he has no chance. And even when we or someone we love breathe their last, Satan has lost once again because Kathy is safe with her Lord in heaven. If it is a storm that has brought you to Red Sea Rules, 7,000 promises from God to you, walking hand in hand with his child through the storm. And when you come out the other side, you'll be so transformed that you won't recognize yourself and neither will anyone else. Closing word. The brothers come 23 years later. The famine has hit Israel. They come looking for food. He recognizes them immediately. They don't recognize him at all. What does he do? He forgives them. The gospel reading for today, all about forgiveness, he forgives them. The cross of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, all wrapped up around sin and forgiveness. He forgives them. And he says to them, listen carefully, he says, 
What you did to me was meant for evil. But God turned it into good. What you did to me, Satan meant for evil, but God turned it into good. I make you one promise, because God has promised it. When the trials come, all things will work together for good to those who believe in Him, who trust His promises, and will walk hand in hand with Him. In our Savior's name, amen. Let me have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, Robert Morgan will have touched the lives of a million people with this book of his. His wife had MS. He knew firsthand what it meant to be in a pit. And you have used those times of storms in his life to come forth with a book of this magnitude. Martin Luther is in the middle of a storm and the lightning is flying all around him and he's terrified. And he says, God, save my life and I'll live for you. And God came to him. And we know the rest of Martin Luther's story. Keep us close to you, Lord. This day, tomorrow, the day after, may there never be a circumstance in which we do not realize your presence, your peace, and your strength. In our Savior's name, amen.